Welcome to this episode of Disruptive Voices recorded at Cybos in Amsterdam. After a two-year break, it's great to have everyone from the transaction banking world back together again and to discuss what has changed in the past couple of years in lockdown. Away from the main hall of the conference booths is the inner tribe space. The area is focused on the new and the cutting edge in the world of fintech and, as has been commented on, has been given the look of a warehouse with bare scaffolding, neon lights and no carpets, but it does have the advantage of arcade machines, so swings and roundabouts. In this episode, I'll be speaking with some of the women of Inner Tribe to learn about how their companies have been developing the new world of tech and how they are finding working in the smaller companies and startups, which will ultimately help shape the retail and corporate banking space of tomorrow. I'm joined now by Rebecca Hackworth, Head of Communications at Quants. Thanks for joining me, Rebecca. Thank you so much, Kimberly. It's a pleasure to join. So to start off with, Quant is a blockchain solutions provider. And in a world where blockchain is coming up time and time again, what is Quant doing that sets the company apart? Yeah, well, our platform is is completely different. We are an interoperability solutions provider. So what we have is a gateway that enables um, different blockchains to talk to each other. So you could move um, digital assets or currencies from, from one network to another. Um, and we also have a tokenization platform that can issue highly secure enterprise-grade um, digital assets or currencies, such as stablecoin or CBDCs. Um, and so what really makes us different is that blockchain is an emerging technology. You know, everybody's talking about it. It's, um, there's not one blockchain that's taken precedence yet at this point. There are like 30 different blockchains right now that are in use um, um, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so not one of them has like taken precedence yet. So there's no clear winner. And so with that, um, you know, our interoperability solution enables them to sort of talk to each other so we can be a bit agnostic, you know, and work with, you know, loads of different blockchains that are out there. So that's one thing that's different. Another thing that's different is that you know, we're really driven by uh, international standards. So we spearheaded ISO TC307, which is a blockchain interoperability standard. We work with the ITEF and um, help spearhead um, the secure asset transfer protocol. And so we're really looking at how the standardization of blockchain is going to emerge Um, and how it's going to be harmonized around the world. So that's something else that we're looking at. So, yeah, it's it's quite cool. It's quite different. Um, It's very different for for, um, fintech. And looking at it now from the the aspect of of being a startup, what is your experience of that kind of culture and what is it like kind of the culture within the company? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, it's very, very agile. I'm sure you hear that from from a lot of startups. But you know, every day, you know, we wear different hats. Um, so I mean, I get involved in nearly every project. So everything from like brand guidelines to our town halls, our intranet, our website, um, policy work um, externally, like what's emerging, what's coming uh, on the horizon, what regulations are coming into play, um, and of course comms. So it's, it's constant like horizon scanning combined with like working on specific projects. Um, I mean, in the culture, it's, it's really um, super inclusive. We have uh, lots of women. It's about 50% women, which is great. Um, really unusual, I think, for a fintech startup. 
we're all a bit kind of geeky, a little bit nerdy. <laughs> we like computer games. Um, some of us are, are very sporty. We love sports. Um, yeah, it's just very fun. It's respectful. Um, it's, it's a really great company to work for. Um, and it's also super, super good. I'm a mom and, you know, they're, they're very flexible if I have to, you know, do things at home um, with, with, you know, my children. So it's, it's great. Oh, that sounds great, and it's always got to love some computer games as well. So, <laughs> um, just to talk about you personally now as well. So, over your career, you've worked in a lot of different sectors, and I'll get you to kind of ask, talk about some of those as well. So, but right now, how do you find being a woman in the fintech space compares with other industries and with the traditional bank environment that you've worked in in the past? Oh, um, that's that's interesting. I think um, it's. There's a lot fewer women, I think, in fintechs than probably should be. I mean, there's more that's coming in. As I said, we're, we're unusual. We're 50% women. Um, there's a lot of women in banking, obviously. Um, it's, just, it's a different sort of culture. I mean, I think banks are slower. They have to be. You know, I think there's a little bit of less individualism. Um, I mean, and really what they're aiming to do is mitigate, you know, risk to their customers and investors. Uh, and that's a good thing. And if you work there, you know, projects can take a long time, you know, 18 months or so. You know, there's lots of layers, lots of approvals, you know, third-party risk management systems, all of that stuff, um, which is all good. You know, and to a certain extent, we have that as well in, you know, in fintech. We still have to um, to do that, but it's much more agile. It's, you know, you seize the moment at a fintech and you run with it um, and you fail fast, um, if, you, if it works, something works great. If not, dust yourself off, bounce back, and try it again. Um, I think, too, like fintech is just is great. It's about helping people, making things more efficient. Ultimately, you know, we're delivering technology that's going to, you know, I think make the world a better place. I mean, there's so much um, exciting uh, use cases and applications for blockchain, you know, for sustainability, for financial inclusion. Um, to, to automate um, and, and make payments more efficient. It's, um, it's, it's really fantastic. So I'm really enjoying it. That's great. And like, so how would you say it work, like, compares with the other industry sectors that you've worked in before? So I know you've worked in a few different places. So can you give us an insight into what you've worked before and how you think maybe it compares or contrasts? Well, no, that's, that's good. Um, in terms of how, how it's worked before I've always worked in either I've worked in um, in a medical assistance <laughs> company which is which is a which was fascinating um, I worked with a lot of doctors a lot of scientists um, we were doing like infectious disease planning and, and monitoring yeah. and risk management frameworks as well too um, but I think one thing that's been consistent throughout my career is I've always been involved in something a bit exciting, something new, um, something emerging to a certain degree. Um, so either, you know, medicine or, or tech or, um, yeah, it's just been, so I think there's been that sort of unifying factor. I've never like had like a desire to, for example, work in retail or anything yeah. like that. I just, just haven't. It's always been like science and tech. Great. Thanks so much, Rebecca, for speaking with us today. Thank you so much, Kimberly. Appreciate it.
I'm speaking now with Marika Konings, Chief Product Officer at Bankify. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So to begin with, let's talk about Bankify. So Bankify focuses on addressing the pain points of SMEs. Um, what issues can Bankify work through that these customers might not get from traditional banks? Well, I think actually um, the traditional banks aren't offering um, any of the services that uh, we help our banking clients um, promote to their SMBs. So that's one of the pain points that we actually try to resolve. So the banks see that um, a lot of the SMBs are moving away. They're drifting further away from their bank as their trusted financial uh, provider. And they leverage um, whatever their accounting package providers are offering. And with embedded finance, um, those providers are also able to embed financial products into their offering. So what we want to do is we want to help the banks to actually turn that on its head. And rather than pushing your SMBs further away to those third-party providers, we want to bring those financial workflows in the bank's channels. So an SMB can go to their bank, they can manage their accounts payables, accounts receivables, they can gain access and insights into their cash position going forward. But also when the time is right, um, the bank can actually offer them uh, the type of lending they need in order to fill any gaps um, in, in their cash flow. So um, I think traditional banks um, are very transaction focused. Um, you can check your balances, you can make payments. But that's not, not how uh, SMBs think and operate. So they are thinking in terms of I've rendered the service, I raise an invoice, how do I get paid for that invoice, how do I make sure I don't get paid late. Um, but also once the payment has happened, how do I make sure that my accounting is updated, that I've got a clear picture on where, where I am as a business from a financial point of view. And that's what we do. So we, we partner with banks to actually become the front door uh, or the first port of call for the SMBs to run their business from. And Bankify is based in Manchester in the north of England, which for anyone who is listening outside of the UK isn't necessarily a traditional place for a, a fintech to be run from, really. It's often we'll see it in the kind of the famous... Silicon Roundabout in London and Shoreditch, you know, it's all very focused there. So, but I think with that, it's a really interesting prospect, though, because it will obviously bring more opportunities and things like that to the region. So how do you think this really opens up the prospect of fintech as an employment choice, especially into areas maybe where there isn't that traditional, traditional kind of background for fintechs? Well, it's actually an interesting question because I think this, this was like a really valid point before COVID. Um, so we were able to work um, with people that didn't have an appetite to move to London for a broad variety of reasons. Uh, there's also a really good technical university at Manchester, which meant that, you know, we had access to young talent that wanted to join us, that believed in what we were doing. I think it has slightly changed now um, since the pandemic and the ways of working have changed and it doesn't really matter where you work. Um, this being said, I, st I still think it's a, it's a really great area and it doesn't always have to be the usual suspects when it comes to places to work. Um, but um, yeah, definitely uh, before COVID, it was uh, a great way for us to attract talent um, that maybe was not accessible and also... Um, as a fintech, um, finding the right people, uh, finding good technical resources um, that also want to stay with you, let's be honest. I mean, we want to build a long-term relationship with our colleagues as well. I mean, we, we're all in this for the long run. 
and we also want our team to be in it for the long run, that's much harder if you're in a, in a highly competitive space um, or a high, highly competitive location like London where people are just hopping jobs. Uh, so I think it's worked very much in our favor. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's a very different kind of approach to, I think, what we're used to really seeing for fintechs. It's definitely, you see it in other countries as well. There's that focus in particular locations. So I think it's, it's really interesting. It's only a good thing as well to get expansion. And like you say, you bring more new players into the into the area as well. Um, but to move on from that kind of, but to look more focused on the um, the focus of the podcast, which is around women and women in fintech. Do you think that more can be done really to bring more women into what is the cutting edge of the fintech space? Like Bankify, you're, you know, you're still quite a small company, but you're really focused in on doing something very specific. And I think like maybe some women might not understand that they'll know that these jobs kind of exist as well. So what more do you think can be done to bring women into working in these kind of these really like cutting edge fintech companies? I think it's going to take more than one thing so the very the very obvious um, element to me is um, examples and role models uh, so I think we are very I, I, I'm not gonna say we're lucky because it's it's a choice that we have made um, we've built out a team where we have um, great diversity as well in the tech team as in the leadership team um, and it really shows that if you have people, and, and it doesn't have to be about um, being CEO of a company or anything, even in our, in, in our technology team, we have some really good um, female engineers and it's by seeing other women taking on highly technical roles or operating in an industry. I mean, if we look around here at Cybos, there's still an awful lot of men here. Uh, it's still not <laughs> entirely a 50-50, <laughs> far from it. Yeah. Um, but we see more and more women and I think it, it also shows the potential. It shows that it's a very attractive industry. I've been in working in fintech uh, for two decades. It's a, it's a long time and I still enjoy it a lot. And I just hope that also I can encourage or uh, let's say transpire my enthusiasm onto other people and show them that it's actually a really cool fun interesting place so it's about role models giving opportunities and yeah i guess that's it <laughs> great thank you so much marika oh you're welcome I'm joined today by Bianca Lopez, who is founder of Idea Fund. Thank you for joining me, Bianca. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. <laughs> so to start with, can you explain what Idea Fund is focused on? Um, so we are a refi sustainability technology transformation fund. Uh, we focus in three areas. We work in identity, we work in energy, and we work in access. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Can you elaborate a bit more on the, the details of what that means? Yeah, as a person who is a digital identity expert, I've been working in places to try to figure out how to identify people. So mm -hmm. I started in the industry working like biometrics when it was like all sci-fi and people thought I was crazy. <laughs> and I was explaining to them, this is not Minority Report. There's a lot of rules on this. So the identity part of the fund to be launched is all about this. Like, how do we identify humans? How do we identify animals? How do we identify, you know, the planet mm -hmm. and the signals around us that we seem to ignore mm -hmm. and not listen to? Mm -hmm. And then on the energy side, I, it's needless to say that we're living in energy mm -hmm. crisis. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I'm looking at the role of technology and finance in transforming how we measure, how we build incentive structures, how do we transform companies from today currently using fossil fuels, how do you measure the transition? Mm -hmm. So we look at investing at companies that are looking at that transition from a perspective beyond, you know, massive windmills. How, what happens when you bring them down? Mm. How do you measure those things? Mm -hmm. And, you know, our thesis goes on to think, if I identify people and, and animals, mm -hmm. and if I done so without blowing out the planet by connecting everything, <laughs> how do I give people access? How do I build a world of an infrastructure of access mm -hmm. and equality mm -hmm. and you know what better place to be talking about that in one of the monetary conversations mm -hmm. of the month today yeah. <laughs> so you know there's a lot of different approaches that you've got there's a lot of different areas that it covers how do you think that together this will be able to kind of change the current system that we're in I'm hoping that by investing in infrastructure and foundation and accepting the crisis and putting actual capital where you know impact conversations have been before but not really tangible transformation mm -hmm. is how I hope to see this impact how I hope to create a world like we failed miserably at including people mm -hmm. you look at fraud systems today they cost you know humanity two to five percent of global GDP mm -hmm. think about the wicked problems you can solve mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know yeah that's what I hope to do by using these technologies by investing in people in different areas of the world as well. Mm -hmm. And we're talking a lot about obviously finance over here, how does this kind of fit into the financial story? I think finance has its own identity crisis. I was talking about it yesterday at Cyboss and saying, you know, it's not only that we've unincluded almost mm -hmm. a billion people still, uh, we're still trying to figure out what's our role in defining and safeguarding value as an industry. So I think what I'm hoping to do with my work is enable them to have the tools, you know, the building blocks, the principles that are required for finance to be truly regenerative, finance to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. Definitely, yeah. I think that's such a big issue we've talked around here as well. This week is kind of that kind of the financial inclusion sustainability piece. So I think it all fits in very much with the, the topics that we've discussed at Cybos this week. Yeah, and it should. And it shouldn't be a uh, this nice story. Mm. It should be, there's also numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, you look at some of the countries, there's transaction numbers. If nothing else, that should get the attention of the bankers in the room. Mm -hmm, definitely. And to move on to the other question now, really. So, you know, you've talked around being at this really kind of innovative part of the industry. You know, it's a very new sector. And how does it feel being like being a woman in this space? Do you find many other women working in this area? I hopefully find as like more and more yeah. every time I walk through life and I find as more aligned I am, the more I see them. Mm -hmm. So for everybody out there that's saying they don't exist, they do. They just happen sometimes yeah. not to be on stage yeah. as yeah. much as they should, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, yeah. In identity, there's women in identity. There's so many groups of incredible thinkers in the space. Mm. But I think it's more than just about the women in the space coming from the identity side is actually about the diversity of backgrounds and mm -hmm. ethnicities. Mm -hmm. And that I still don't see as much as I would like, as much as the places in the world mm. actually represent. Yeah, definitely. And how do you think what can be done or how can people maybe break into this space if it's kind of not a traditional route that they might take? What, what steps do you think they need to look at or how can the industry also open up the, the space to allow more of a diverse workforce to come through? What I'm hoping is through what I'm going to do is through capital. Mm -hmm. I think capital can create a lot of incentive structures combined with the right amount of education and access. Like when I look at my academic board and ties, like I care about how you give back and empower. Mm -hmm. I'm from Brazil originally, mm -hmm. and I spent a ton of time in Africa and the Caribbean. There's a lot of need, not only for education and people mm -hmm. to fly in and fly out. There's need for sustainable actual capital mm -hmm. and you know we talked about unicorns we idolize these things but 
I'm looking at figuring out what's actually going to be sustainable. What does it look like to build regenerative models? People talk about refi, and I think that's that's the gap here. That's the bridge of opportunity. Mm -hmm. That's a great note to finish on. So thank you so much for joining us today, Bianca. Thanks for having me. I'm joined now by Uliana Steibel, who is CEO of Quorum. Thank you for joining me. Yes, thank you for having me, Kimberly. It's really a pleasure to be here. So to begin with, I think it would be a good place to start if you could just explain to us what Quorum does. Oh, Quorum is a software uh, platform uh, for private placement and cap table management. So we help private businesses to manage their investor relations, their investor pipeline, sign documents. So we automate things for private companies and make them, uh, it's much easier for them to and faster to close the funding round. Cool. And also, so you have the position of being CEO as well, which is very interesting to be able to speak to a woman CEO in fintech. Um, but also you have the experience as well of being an immigrant in London and founding the company in London. So what is your experience of, of having that perspective of being both a woman and an immigrant founding a, con a company in a new country? It's uh, it's challenging, I would say. Uh, definitely, you should be very persistent in what you do if you want to succeed with, with all of that combination of different non-traditional uh, way of uh, doing business, right? So first of all, I started a business with my co-founder being back in Ukraine. And, uh, and we started uh, the company in UK. Then uh, I uh, moved to UK and uh, started to, to build my business, uh, get more clients and uh, continue with product development. Uh, but uh, I see that it definitely makes a difference uh, like, uh, and take you like, probably three times more efforts like, or more to, to get to the point where you should be because you, you are female and you, you are also an immigrant, right? So there is this uh, uh, quite a traditional way of venture capital to, uh, to invest in businesses. So you should be uh, wild, um, a grad, uh, male graduated from Oxford or Cambridge. <laughs> or if you are not, so you, you have to be a first time founder, uh, like a second time founder. Otherwise, like uh, you, you can't get through, uh, through all of that complications. So it's, it's challenging, but it's worth it because I like to be an entrepreneur. I mean, are there any particular aspects of, say, you've obviously, you've had your background working in finance in Ukraine as well. Are there any kind of stumbling blocks that you've encountered from being in London compared with being in Ukraine that you can kind of see as being attributable to coming from the approach of being an immigrant? I think definitely competition is uh, much higher. It's, uh, it's obvious and it's normal because uh, when, when you come to London or New York, you, you expect to have a quite high competition so uh, what you don't have like uh, in Ukraine even though of course you you do have some other companies doing things but they're not doing things in the same area right here you have like concentration of solution is so so high so competition is a very important factor <laughs> which you should come consider when you start this business and uh, when you especially started in a specific country um, yeah, and uh, in overall, uh, I, I think uh, UK have been very supportive to uh, to companies who want to establish in the UK. So, uh, beside all the complications which we experience with uh, venture capital, 
like attitude, but uh, would still have been very much um, supported by London and partners, Tech Nation, like all of this initiative, mostly like government back, who are really attracting talents to the UK. So myself, I'm I'm holder of the exceptional talent visa. Now it's called the global talent visa. I think it's really great what UK is doing to it. Uh, to get more people, more talent uh, to uh, to London to and and in the UK in overall. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's something that we did hear about, kind of in principle, that this was going to happen to try and especially build up the fintech space and the because London really wants to be that kind of financial hub and also for the developing technologies as well. So it's quite interesting to hear that you have that lived experience of it and it's actually been quite a good process for you. It was like uh, I again like I don't think that uh, venture capital industry is that much open. Uh, so for, for I even know that currently uh, there is um, a group of Ukrainians uh, also back. Uh, they uh, establish a special venture fund called Blue Lake. Uh, specifically dedicated to immigrant founders, not just from Ukraine, but uh, they see, uh, they saw actually the niche that uh, there is a problem with venture capital going to Im- immigrant founders, and they established this uh, a small seed fund uh, to to help uh, where they see that uh, there is a real, real gap. So I, see, so I think like more initiatives probably should be uh, on the venture capital side to support these new businesses, but in overall, uh, from perspective of uh, providing uh, other opportunities, non-financial opportunities, obviously, uh, UK and London is doing a great job. And as you've mentioned already on this podcast, you are from Ukraine, and we're all very, very aware of the situation there at the moment. And it's great to hear that you have been so proactive in supporting your countrymen back at home with you work with an NGO called Enkidu um, and you're helping donors to find solutions for medical needs within the country and how to get payments to make purchases of medical supplies so I mean that's an incredible initiative that you're involved with can you explain to us more about what that is how it works and maybe if anyone listening has a way of helping what they could do yeah so in uh, February, obviously, we have been all shocked uh, that uh, with this level of injustice and fairness that happened to uh, to democratic country, because it's very uh, for for Ukrainians uh, valued democracy is uh, very special right now. I don't I don't even think that many other countries currently understand how. Uh, valuable democracy is because when li- when only you have it under a threat, then you truly understand it. So, Ukrainians were all united uh, uh, when it all started. Like reaction was uh, quite, as for me, obvious because I do ex- I ha- had this expectation from my nation, and um, and those Ukrainians in London uh, uh, they they also started to help uh, from very different perspectives, mostly trying to buy things, to procure something. And uh, with uh, my co-founders, uh, we, uh, we saw that actually this is, there is also an, an, a, a bit a lack of understanding what actually is required from a field. So the, and we found the institution, uh, state, uh, state Enterprise Medical Procurement of Ukraine, who actually knows this information? They know they have all uh, met data. This is their system. 
where they uh, collect all the information what is specifically required. So we help them to, uh, first of all, we help them to, uh, to integrate uh, SAP Ariba. It's a system, uh, quite popular one for procurement. And, uh, and secondly, we started to, to, fo to find uh, institutional donors who can finance those specific needs. And we are not saying about like a couple thousand um, expenses. We are actually saying about like uh, uh, 200,000, like uh, half a million, million, three millions. So all of the big purchases, because usually when you do, do a big purchases, you also get a discount from, from suppliers. And in the end of the day, ha doing this, we we decided, okay, we need a platform where where it can be all automated. So so now Enkidu, uh, it's on enkiduglobal.org. Uh, it's a place where donors can register, and they can um, see a kind of marketplace with the medical uh, requirements requests uh, from uh, from this um, uh, state institution, and they can see exactly what uh, what will be procured from which organization, which supplier, and they uh, uh, can agree to pay for this. And they pay directly to suppliers. So this is super important because we know there is always a problem of trust, uh, to of giving money directly to some intermediaries. So in this specific like, uh, use case, what we discussed, like Enkidu platform, we we don't have uh, intermediary who receive money. So if, uh, institutional donor is a charity or a corporation, they can pay directly to supplier and cover these medical needs, which are super important and of course necessary for Ukraine. That's great. Thank you so much, Oliana. Yes, thank you, Kimberly. It's amazing uh, to have this conversation with you. Thank you for listening to Disruptive Voices, a monthly podcast from The Banker. You can listen at thebanker.com, Acast, Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.